Hello, welcome back to Out of Our Heads, a pop culture podcast from the minds of Joe Bortner. And with me here today is the podcast king himself, Nick Protopapis. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, for those of you listeners out there who uh, don't know, uh, we're trying a new thing today to uh, better your listening experience. And uh, that thing is that I have a new headset that I'm using, yep. with a microphone on it. And uh, yeah, for, uh... <laughs> uh, maybe that'll be better, or maybe you'll hear me better. And it will be worse. Mm. Yeah, because for the past uh, 29 episodes of this uh, podcast that's been going for almost a year now, uh, I guess we've missed a lot of weeks there. Uh, Nick has been using just the microphone on his laptop. Uh, I've no, been no. using a, a... Joe, you see, that's where you're wrong, because uh, occasionally I would use uh, the microphone on my phone, actually. <laughs> So there's been, you know, you see, you see drastic failure. I see improvement. We started on my phone speaker, then we went to the laptop, and now we're we're finally getting somewhere. We're finally, you know, getting a little more uh, professional over here. Right, that's true. Do you remember the time for our third episode? You recorded off of your phone in a pool. I do. I do remember. That was that was. Probably my most comfortable listening experience or recording experience. Listening yeah, I don't. <laughs> I guess you were listening to me. Yeah, That's I don't know if the audio. I don't know if the audio quality turned out great for that one, but you know. Well, you know, actually, um, sound travels faster underwater. <laughs> <laughs> so it might have been uh, might have been better for those who like to get through these a little faster. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I think it is possible that that episode is like one of the only podcast episodes ever recorded with one of the hosts in a pool. I don't know if that's a certainty. I, like there are a lot of podcasts made. <laughs> I really, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. But if it is, then that would be nice. We could we could go for other ones, you know, in yeah. that vein, like first podcast to be recorded on a transistor radio in a dumpster. Um, things like that, that no one else would have stooped so low to do, but we could That's try. true. That's true. Uh, yeah. Yeah. There are a lot of, you know, levels of unprofessionalism that we can reach on this show. I think that no one else would dare go. Yeah. I think yeah. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That Nick, how, are, how are you? <laughs> good. Good. I, I do hope that people can hear me better. That would be nice. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, why don't we give the people what they want? Uh, a great yeah, show today. Okay, Nick, you've got you've got a thing for me. Um, of course, Joe. Of course, I have a thing for you. Uh, this week's thing is a movie because every day I've been watching a movie. So, uh, a couple of days ago, I watched a cult classic, which I had heard of before, but I don't think I've actually ever heard anyone talk about. Um, and it's called Dazed and Confused, um, and it's by director Richard Linklater or Linklater. I don't really know. It's the word. I Link. think it's Linklater. And then the word later. And those two words are together. So take that as you will. Um, you may know him from uh, School of Rock or uh, Everybody Wants Some with the two exclamation points, apparently. This guy's movie title has two exclamation points. It's pretty wild, don't you say? Very cool. Um, School of Rock had Jack Black, right? Oh, yeah, it did, yeah. Not to be confused mm -hmm. with uh, Schoolhouse Rock, that thing that you and I probably watched in uh, kid school. Yeah. Yeah, Kid he, also, he also did uh, the the before romance movies. If you're familiar with that, Joe, I'm not familiar. Before sunrise, before dawn, before 
I've never actually seen them, but they seem very huh. dramatic. And uh, I think Boyhood also. And uh, yeah, his 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 thing sort of a couple of his things are that he sort of throws narrative out the window and just just sort of has characters doing stuff. Uh, and then he also likes to shoot like actors for long periods of time over their their life, so, which is a sort of super fun idea, especially in uh, Boyhood, which I think most people would recognize it from. Uh, in this movie, it's called uh, it's about. It came out in the 90s, but it's about high school in the 70s, and it's their last day of school. Um, and uh, basically, it's just it just follows like a, a handful of those seniors over the course of the night. And uh, what they end up doing is partying, of course. Uh, and it sort of starts in the school day, and they're sort of they're messing with freshmen. There's some there's some major hazing going on. They're skipping class. They're going around. Uh, hitting on their teachers, and then uh, it just continues. Whoa, 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 whoa! What? <laughs> what? Hitting on their teachers? Yeah, Joe. I sh- don't, don't go. It's it's a, it's a it's a movie from the '90s about the '70s, Joe. It's not trying to be like. There's a part where you you would be shocked about the hazing in this movie. There was. Okay. It's it. You would you would you would gape. They they go around and they chase freshmen and they they slap on the on the butts with those mallet things. That's like oh my god, thirty or forty. <laughs> Actually, that's that proceeds for like an hour and a half of this movie. Maybe it's wow, it's like a whole thing. Um, I think I would be shocked. <laughs> yeah, the girl, I can't say you're. I can't say you're pitching this movie to be great. Why the girls? <laughs> the girls, the freshman girls, are like laying down and yelled at by the older girls and then they like spray ketchup and mustard on them and it's all very terrible um anyways there's like two freshman characters in this movie who are like sort of recruited by the seniors they're like oh well we know you we just sort of bullied you a lot but uh if you want to go to the party later tonight you should come um (laughs) which is a sort of fun idea it's just bouncing a lot it's you know it's bouncing around a lot of characters um and i don't really have anything to say about the plot because there's no plot that that was sort of the plot um but what's cool about this movie is that it's very atmospheric and it's just like really well written characters just interacting and being silly um like the most prominent example of that that i can sort of tell you about now is that there's this stoner kid basically he's wearing a weed shirt the whole time he's high out of his mind and there's there's a couple (laughs) little bits where he's just like he's like you guys don't know about george washington george washington was in like a cult and they all like believed in aliens, man. You don't know this, and like just little bits like that, where sort of characters you know in your life appear in the movie in sort of exaggerated forms, and it's super fun. Um, yeah, so it's just sort of like for me, it was a very good like just entering or re- I guess re-entering, you know, a high school reality, and it it was totally exaggerated and like not really. I don't want to say realistic because that's not entirely true, but like the characters felt real and like, it felt like I was in, in high school for two hours, um, which is super fun. And it's, uh, it's good for that. Anyways, if you need more being pitched on this movie, it's, it's just like a fun experience more than a, a narrative, but it's got Matthew McConaughey and, uh, Ben Affleck and they're sort of just in there. It's, uh, it's cool. Uh, I think I talked about boyhood on this podcast before and I'd like That's boyhood a lot. possible. Yeah. But I think I like this one more because it's got less of a less of a narrative, and it's just it's just sort of all in on the the fun party scene. Cool. Yeah, it's got some cool '70s rock or 
you know, to cut everything up. And uh, it's pretty funny sometimes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So my uh, my thing this week is a free comic uh, that you can find online. It's called Karate Prom. Uh, so this is by Kyle Starks, uh, who's uh, sort of big. He does the Rick and Morty books, or at least did for a while. Um, he also wrote um, Assassination Nation uh, with Erica Henderson uh, that came out last year. That's fantastic. I, I think I've talked to you about that before, but it's really good. Anyway, so a lot of his, his comics are fun and, and you know, action-y and, and kind of just a little bit genius in the way that the title would, would suggest. Uh, so this one is about, is, um, is about two teenagers uh, that meet at a karate tournament uh, and then go to prom. And they have to fight off the the, the girl's uh, ex-boyfriend who has hired a bunch of people to fight them at the prom. Uh, and it's short, but it's fun. Um, and they uh, it's a lot of, you know, uh, goofy comedy uh, that's largely character focused. And, and you get like, you know, a good sense of the bits that, that uh, is going on in the book. Um, you know, it, it's I think the main appeal is that it's just very charming and very quotable. Um, you know, there's a part where the, the guy is uh, going into like his first fight in the karate tournament. Um, and he says, uh, please let me fight with both honor and the power of a rhinoceros beetle. Um, <laughs> there's a, uh, like I said before, there's a lot of fun little character interactions. Uh, there's, there's a part where, uh, you know, uh, when the guy and the girl first meet, um, she's like, uh, you know, I'm not going to thank you for letting me win our karate match. Uh, and the guy's like, I totally didn't let you win. <laughs> uh, and she responds with, okay, well, I'm not going to apologize for destroying you either. Um, and it's just, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's goofy and it's not, I don't think particularly deep, but it really accomplishes what it tries to do. Um, and I really respect that. Um, and so it's a, it's a short free comic. I think it was done for this year's free comic book day initially um because that didn't end up happening uh in physical space for obvious reasons um and i i think it turned out really well and i'm i'm, I'm glad that i i took the time to read it sounds good what's the art like uh you know if you've if you've read the um the rick and morty comics it, it, it looks mostly like that um it replicates that style a lot it's in black and white um so so that's sort of yeah, it, it's it's like a black and white version of the the Rick and Morty comics stylistically. Um, I think you know he kind of, from my understanding, he drew this in like two weeks. Um, so he kind of like there are very few backgrounds a lot of the time, but it, like it it's I think very effective at like telling its story. Um, and there are a lot of for something that was drawn in like two weeks. Um, there are a lot of panels on a lot of the pages, which I really respect. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah, free comic book day will be missed this year. Any yeah. any day with free stuff will be missed. I think. I agree. Do you think how many free stuff days do you think there are? Like, do you think you could sort of do a project in one year where you just track down all the like free stuff days and just got free stuff a lot? Ah, uh, that's possible. I feel like free comic book day is an interesting case, and is maybe like one of the more notable ones at least to us. Um, just because it's like, you know, most people don't really read comics, um, but free comic book day has become such a big thing because people are like, oh, free shit. <laughs> um, 
And so even people who don't normally read comics like are often often go into stores and i think that's like i don't know how much that that helps the industry but it seems like it's it's a a a good strategy yeah i think it works out i mean when i'm when i'm there it's always like little kids buying big old graphic novels as well as there yeah so i'm sure it works yeah yeah i mean i i'd I'd hope that you know if people can that they would buy things at their their store when they go for a comic book day because i know you know, some people don't, and and I think, you know, the point is to get you in the store. Um, so, yeah, I don't know, no judgment, no judgment, but <laughs> that's okay. Let's uh, let's mourn yeah. a little. I mean, I guess we are mourning a little for free comic book day. And then yeah. uh, when you're done with that, we should move on to our main topic. Uh, yeah, let's move on. So today, Nick, we were talking about the uh, the the new-ish comic, uh, Superman Smashes the Clan, that is from Jean Lun Yang and Gira Hiro. Uh, that's the same team that did all those Avatar books we like a lot um, that we talked about uh, last year. Uh, and I I think you know uh, to start off, um, well to start off, I should establish like sort of what this, what this is about. Similar actually to karate prom it's a lot <laughs> what it says on the tin it's 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 superman in the 1940s um smashing the clan uh there's a proxy for the ku klux klan in this um i, I you know it's it's very obvious that they are the ku klux klan so it becomes you know i, I don't know how important there being a proxy actually matters um and so we follow superman as he's sort of is you know wrestling with uh kind of his own identity as as something of an immigrant um and and as a you know uh with with using like the kryptonian heritage stuff as a metaphor for that immigration experience and at the same time we follow um this young girl roberta who is a chinese american um as she moves to metropolis with her family and they they experience uh, you know, some hardship because of the clan's presence there, and also uh, as she simultaneously wrestles with like her identity and how she wants to exist in counter to everything that's going on around her. Um, one of the other important points about this book is that it is an adaptation of a radio serial that aired in the 1940s um, that was about uh, you know the same topic: Superman fighting the Ku Klux Klan. Um, and in that capacity, it, it, it um, you know, I think, I think is still relevant in a lot of the same ways. Um, and I think this also, from my understanding, fleshes out a lot of the ideas that were in that radio serial in interesting ways. Have you listened to that radio serial? Uh, no, but I know about it. Um, and I've read sort of what Gene Yang has written about it. Well, all right. Um, yeah, what's interesting to me here is uh, that Superman is fighting a sort of... I, I guess you're right, it is a proxy, but I didn't even notice that reading it, honestly. A, a real mm-hmm. world, you know, feels like, uh, you know, Captain America fighting Hitler, right? It's like, well... Yeah. Uh, so that, that's sort of an interesting position to be in. Um, but it definitely makes it so that you don't have to explain the villain or, like, really, like, feel the threat of the villain. Like, it already feels threatening, and it feels... 
you know, evil inherently, which is a sort of a good place to start off. And then from there, they sort of uh, just get to focus on the characters a lot uh, and use, you know, the clan as a more of an idea than an actual, I don't want to say not an actual like, villain, like they try to explode things in this, uh, in this comic. They are the threat, but it's, it's more of, you know, it's more how that affects the the immigrant characters, and I like that because it, it it sets the focus aside to more of the character stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think to me one of the most interesting things about this book is that it seems to me to very much be in continuity with, or, or not actual story continuity, but like in in uh, you know a, a continuation of sort of the themes that that Yang and and Geary Hero were like discussing in the avatar books um and even some of uh yang's own work like american board chinese um like it's very much on the same beat as that i i think in contrast to to even gene yang's other superman work um like this stands apart it's very much talking about those issues as opposed to like uh you know at least like the the um not new superman so much um which does I think have a, a you know a decent amount to say about identity, not through the same lens because it's not the characters aren't immigrants, um, but like his um, his regular Superman work um, that he did before both of these uh, also feels kind of detached um, from that sort of main thrust that you find in a lot of wor- his work, um, and I th- I think. Not not to ramble, um, which I know I kind of have been just now. Um, but I think sort of the important thing about the clan here um, is that unlike in at least the Avatar books, you have a really vicious, you know, villain and counterpoint to what the characters sort of represent. Um, not that there aren't effective villains in the Avatar stories, but I, I there's, there's not like a... Def- as defined force of of hate um in those uh yeah i think i would agree with that it's um in terms of what's going on in this book it's 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 again very character based like you know superman is set up as sort of i don't want to say you know it's not really an origin story but more of a not the superman we know exactly because he's powered down he can't mm-hmm. fly. Um, well, a lot of a lot of his uh, his crazier powers he's not using, like his uh, X ray vision or his uh, uh, I guess their laser eyes or, or the the frost breath. Like those are things that um, they say in the book that those are things that are a normal human would be completely incapable of doing. Um, and so, part of what he's grappling with at the beginning of the story um, and throughout it is that. A lot of he's using a lot of his powers in a way that makes him present as a regular human, um, just a bit more like a a, a quote unquote superman, because um, really he he's just like he runs faster, he can jump higher, he can punch harder, but he's not too distant. He's intentionally positioning himself as not too distant from a regular person. Yeah, um, and then. On the other end of that, you have Roberta and her brother, who's Tommy, right? Yeah. Um, and Roberta is more like super. Well, not really, but I guess I guess Tommy's kind of like Superman. 
because he is keeps positioning himself to sort of be the butt of, well that's not true either it's sort of mm-hmm. it's sort of three different you know outlooks on it where Roberta's sort of totally anti and then Tommy is like embracing it in a way embracing his uh, he's Chinese right yeah uh yeah heritage in a way where he's like he embraces sort of the stereotypes sometimes and like is the butt of the joke and then mm-hmm. Superman is sort of trying to hide and hide in plain sight, which he can do because he's white. Um, yeah. So I thought that was probably the most interesting part of the book um, was those three sort of strategies, I guess you could say. And yeah, 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 and how they're all you know they're all kind of flawed in their own ways, and then the book sort of ends up with you know the, the obvious, but the the good lesson where you should just sort of yourself yeah i think you know i i don't want to simplify it quite that much because i think there, there's there's real nuance there um in sort of the way that at least we have superman approaching his own identity um because you know one of the the critical things about it is that this is a version of superman that when he was a kid didn't learn about his kryptonian heritage um like he he intentionally rejected that um because it distanced him from sort of the the small town very like human christian life that like he was living in smallville um and so it it takes him throughout the story to sort of accept that part of himself and and to show it to the world um which i think is really cool and uh, one of the other sort of things i want to touch on is that this definitely like skews younger I think than like Gene Yang's Avatar stuff and a lot of his other books. Right. But I think because of that, like it, it, it serves as like a, a good grounding for like probably parents and kids to have discussions about race with one another. Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, that's sort of what I was saying. Like for me, you know, however you want to call the lesson at the end, you know, the characters are end up in a place where they triumph over the, the hated, you know, the hate, full the hateful villains and uh you know more or less show themselves to the world and you know try to be you know accepted right i don't know i didn't mean to simplify it too much but it's more of a simple simple less it's very it's very black and white in its conclusion and it's it's villain but i think you're right more nuanced in sort of the different ways the characters you know bounce between those two things um and so that's that's actually that's you know that's my favorite thing about the book is is sort of the the insight to these characters, um, and then so it, you know it's also a very easy book to read. Like Guru Hero's art is very bouncy. It's very colorful. It's great to look at. Everything's super clear. Um, you know, all the characters have little funny moments. Like uh, you know, Roberta calls her her brother dummy all the time. That's a little funny. Cute oh, yeah. stuff like that which makes it super easy to read and like good for kids, but like, you know, also just like mildly entertaining. Uh, and then the really interesting parts are those character things. And then the, the rest of it is sort of, sort of just there going through the motions to elevate those things. Like, I think that the, you know, I'm, I'm, I can't, I can barely remember that, not barely remember, but I can't, it's not, I don't know how to have a lot to say about like the story in this book. Cause it, it basically just is like, Oh, the clan attacks this family or like, 
you know, burns a cross over here. And then like, eventually it escalates to like, oh, they're in two places at once. Like, you know, we're going to have to save the day. Uh, and there is a little bit of that, you know, every time Superman's on the scene, he just kicks ass. Um, <laughs> like, like really the tension is, will Superman get there in time? Versus not like, you know, cause that's what happens in Superman books is that he's too powerful, I guess. Um, and that does happen here, but it doesn't really matter because, you know, the tension comes from, from the characters. Yeah. Yeah. I think, which is, you know, I, I think the optimal way to write Superman stories, um, like it's, it's to make it so that the tension is like, okay, what not can Superman do this, but what decision will he make? And like, what, what, how do the characters react? Um, yeah. I mean, you know. the best part of this book, I think you'll probably agree is, is, is that Roberta is the one who tells Superman, Hey, why are you holding yourself back? That's weird. Um, and like, it is a very sort of big, big thing that Superman is like not using all the power he has to help people. Yeah. Yeah. And I like, I like how she connects that to, or at least the book connects that to like, not only are you hurting yourself by not like being your, your, your fullest self, um, and not portraying that, like you're hurting other people. Cause at least like on the metaphorical level and in, in, in the book, a literal level, like, you know, Superman could help more people if he like flew faster, right. if he used his other powers, if he was stronger, yeah. which he can do, but he chooses not to. That being said, no one really gets hurt in this book, but <laughs> yeah, they like almost get hurt. Like, like Tommy's in the river and like, if Superman didn't use his x-ray vision, that Tommy probably would have drowned. That's something. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, all that being said, it, it does feel like a book more geared for children. And, mm -hmm. uh, I guess if I had children, I, I I'd say, hey, you should read this. But uh, if you're not a child, it might be a little less fun. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think I still think it's a really strong Superman story, um, in terms of like adults reading it, and I I do think it has stuff to offer. Um, you know, it it it's as I said earlier, it's like running with a lot of the same themes as like Jin Yang has worked with. Uh, more or less since American board Chinese, at least. Um, and so I, I think it's a cool continuation of, of him exploring that stuff. Um, there's also, this is sort of unrelated to the book, but um, recently uh, he and Brian Michael Bendis, who's like the main writer of Superman right now, uh, did like a Zoom call uh, for like a online comic convention um and they they talk for about an hour um just about sort of what it means to them to be writing superman uh, and sort of contrasting like the various immigrant experiences like what does it mean uh for superman as a jewish icon versus an immigrant icon like what what's how does that bounce off at each other um and i i i think that's like really worth watching for anyone like interested in that character um, since I think those are two, like, really, like, insightful people on this subject, um, and I think it, it was, you know, sort of cool to see their, their opinions on that. Yeah, that sounds cool. Uh, yeah, so I enjoyed it. Guru Heroes art, very good. I guess we have to say that three or four times every time we are on <laughs> yeah. the subject. Um, <laughs> you know, to s sort of t touch on that more, um, 
I really like the way that they draw Superman in this. He's a lot softer than I think we often see him. Um, like there, there's a lot fewer sharp angles in his design. He's like kind of bubbly um, in the way that he's drawn. Yeah. Um, and I like that because this version of Superman is very much about empathy and sort of that softness. Um, like, or at least about him like growing into that. Um, and I think that's really cool. Like it, 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 empath- it, it, it emphasizes that, that kindness that I think should be central to his character. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another interesting thing, I think we touched on a little, and it's only just like a, like a, you know, little thing in the comic, but I like how it outrightly sort of one of the clan members is like, uh, you know, says to Superman, you're, you're, you exemplify how powerful white people can be. Um, I thought that was just like really interesting and I'm really glad that the book went all the way there if that makes sense mm-hmm. um, yeah. and i think it just it, you know it, it sort of builds on the other stuff we were talking about but mainly just puts that idea in the spotlight and sort of you know challenges it and makes it look stupid kind of yeah yeah it's definitely like it examines sort of to what extent can this character and even like superheroes in general which i don't think anyone will dispute are like you know at least for a a large portion of history have largely been been white characters and are often male characters um like you know they they can often represent i think unintentionally but like even through inaction like represent sort of those ideas um and i think it's really cool like you said that this book does a lot of the work to challenge that yeah yeah i mean it was just a moment but even like just reading that for me i was like oh Good point. Like, I liked it. Yeah. So. Uh, what can I say? Gene Yang's a really smart guy. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Uh, yeah, I think that's all I got to say. Uh, yeah. Um, what are some other, you know, miscellaneous points? <laughs> I was talking with you before the show. There's like a slight romance between um, Roberta, our lead, and uh, Jimmy Olsen, oh, who's yeah. also here. Jenny's um, like aged down to like be in her age because she's a main character, yeah. which is I think like fifth grade or so. I, I really couldn't tell you. That was sort of just a guess. Um, yeah, but it's they're like you know kids. Yeah, which is funny because they like work for the newspaper. <laughs> um, but that's just like a funny bit. I, you were saying that it sort of makes sense in the time period, but it was just for me. It was just like a little weird because I didn't exactly notice at first how young Jimmy was. And then they like mm-hmm. imply that romance and it's like, Oh, weird. <laughs> but it's, yeah, it's kind of cutesy, you know? Um, I don't know. They, they like don't do anything. They just like wink at each other, which is kind of cute. Yeah. Um, it's not like my favorite element of the book. Um, and I, I feel like mm, it sort of comes out of nowhere, but like, you know, it's fun. Like, no harm. It doesn't really take up any time. Um, yeah. I think there's a, there's also a funny bit where <laughs> Superman is like seeing these like green alien things, which we later find out are his parents, sort of from his solitude hologram situation. Um, except they look like really weird green aliens, and he keeps seeing them like everywhere. He's like is hallucinating, and uh, he's distracted from talking to Lois over coffee, and she thinks she <laughs> she doesn't see them obviously because they're like magical creatures or whatever. Not you know what I mean. And uh, she looks yeah, over, yeah. and she's like, oh. Looks like you're staring at that lady over there. 
disgusting. And then she gets up and leaves and is offended. <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny, especially right after. Cause that, th- there's a couple little bits in this book where Superman is just like really corny, like clearly on yeah. purpose. And that's, that's one of them where she just gets up and he's like, why would I be staring across the coffee shop when the beautiful, most bestest girl I've ever met was having coffee with me? I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> it was also pretty adorable though. Yeah. It's just a little ridiculous, but I thought that was a funny bit. Um, yeah, I know. I know. Gene Yang really likes Clark and Lois as a couple. So that's funny. Uh, wait, uh, <laughs> weird, weird, weird couple to like. <laughs> um, I think it's sweet. Okay, whatever. And no, uh, I, I, I like their dynamic when it's written well. I, I, I like how you know in the in the talk I mentioned earlier. Um, one of the things they touch upon on is like the way that. Brian Mago Bendis writes, you know, that couple, because in his version, they're married. It's like, yeah, they've been together a long time, but they're sort of still sort of bouncing off one another and sort of figuring each other out and learning things about each other. And I like that, especially since, like, yeah, they're both reporters, <laughs> which is kind of funny. Um, but also, like, you know, they're, they're as dynamic as, as characters can be who have existed for this long. And I like that. Yeah. Um... You know, that doesn't really go anywhere except to go, like, those two end up together, I guess, when Superman has confidence in himself later. Uh, that's yeah. one thing. Like, they, this book, I think, justly does not focus on the romantic elements too much, but, like, they're there. Yeah. Um, like, there's no big kiss or anything. It's just like, oh, these are elements of the Superman mythology. And, like, speaking of which, I, I think, you know, what's interesting to me about Gene Yang, a lot of his work uh, with this character is that it's very clear that, to me at least, um, in my mind, that, like, he has a lot of respect for, like, this character and this mythology, but he's so also so willing to challenge it, like we said earlier. Um, what do you mean sort of that? dissect... I mean, like, you know, the, the... Well, so, as we mentioned earlier, like, there's the part where um, we're talking about, like, uh how oh well superman as a symbol could possibly be used by and has sometimes been used as like sort of as a white nationalist symbol um and so the book wrestles with that but at the same time like you know there there's so much in this book where like it's very clear that gene yang has a lot of love for superman like he makes a lot of like you know references to sort of classic superman moments and ideas and lines yeah makes sense I don't know. It seems to me that he has a lot of affection for the character. Uh, yeah. Uh, I also really like the art of the solid fortress of solitude that's like underwater now and like built of crystals. Mm-hmm. I thought that was probably my favorite art bit. I liked it. Yeah. This is um. <laughs> this is absolutely unrelated to this book, but I just thought of this. Um, were you aware that um, in the original nineteen seventy nine Superman movie. Uh, like the 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 actor who played Jor-El, Superman's Kryptonian dad, um, <laughs> originally wanted to play his character as like a talking sandwich. What? <laughs> like it talks to Superman through the sandwich. Like that's how they. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. That's my understanding. That was his idea. <laughs> yeah. Weird. Didn't go through. <laughs> yeah, I actually watched that movie recently. It's yeah, not, not that good, but mm. I've I've never seen it, um, but I am interested in doing so. It's okay. That's all I have to say. Yeah. 
All right. Um, should we move on to our our special weekly topic? Uh, yeah, sure. Let's move on. Uh, yeah, so this week, like we do every week, we're going to be talking about uh, Joe's work and uh, his, <laughs> his now-finished Aeronaut comic. Uh, Joe, I thought you would sort of take the reins here, do a little, like, retrospective. What would you write at the beginning of your your book, I guess, you know, now that you finished the book? Uh, what do you call that? An acknowledgement? Yeah, sure. Um, forward, I guess. A forward, you're right. Um, <laughs> yeah, so... Um, Aeronaut is a comic I've been working on on the web, a web comic even, uh, for about a little over two years now. Um, and last week I uploaded the the final few pages. Um, and you know I, I'm I'm happy about that. I, I, I it is something that I've been working on for a long time, uh, and I, I'm excited to sort of move on to different projects. Um, but I also, you know, really appreciate the time I sort of spent with these characters. Um, and I think that, you know, it's really helped me grow as a creator and as a storyteller. Um, I think if you even look at, like, the art um, <laughs> in, like, the, the last pages as compared to the first few pages, there's just a drastic difference. Um, and I'm, I'm comfortable, like, saying that. Um, you know, I, I think... The interesting thing to me about working on Aeronaut, um, which might be the problem that like any webcomic artist has who's starting out, um, is that like I I often cannot go back to like the first handful of, of issues that I made because there were uh, basically 10 total. Uh, there are nine, but the last one is um, 40 pages as compared to the regular 20. Um and so, like, the, the the thing about that is that when I go back to the first issue especially, um, I'm just like, wow, there's a lot of uh, scenes here that are unnecessary, or I could have conveyed things better this way, or, like, I feel this is vestigial, um, <laughs> or, you know, this character could have been written differently or introduced differently. Um, and But I, I think, you know, around issue seven or so is where I kind of found my groove with the book. Um, so the last like 80 pages really, um, <laughs> which, you know, is a long time, but it's also like my first comic. Um, and so I, I think, you know, considering that I was working things out on the move, I'm kind of okay with that. Um, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, that's how I feel about, it also, um, especially with the art stuff, it's just something to, like, you know, you can flip through the issues on your on your website, and uh, when I do, um, the art difference is something that really strikes me as uh, being more developed now, and I, I really enjoy that. Um, yeah, uh, I I think, I mean, I, I think I think that part of you know doing something like you said on the move, like constantly doing another page and not looking back. Part of that is sort of, you know, throwing yourself into a project and making sure more that it it continues and gets done than, you know, going back and worrying about every little thing. I uh, found a quote recently, which I guess I won't use at the end of the, um, and it's, <laughs> Jesus, it's from a, I'm going to butcher this, so don't even worry about it because it's not the actual quote for the show, which is always well-researched, but it's something like, 
you know, some Chinese author a long, long, long time ago uh, was like, if I waited to write a, you know, my perfect book, it would never be done. Something very simple like that, but better worded, which now that I say it is mm-hmm. something I could have just been like, well, that's something I say all the time, but um, <laughs> that's fine. Um, yeah. But I, you know, I have enormous respect and I, I really like that you sort of just committed to, to doing something like that. And now that it's done, you can sort of look back and, you know, say, okay, that was my first comic and this is the ways that I've you know, improved and changed. And, you know, what that means is that your next thing is going to be even better. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, you know, one of the, the big kind of troubles for me is that because I started the comic at a point where like, oh, well, you know, I can I can look back at that and say that I'm not the biggest fan of the art that I was putting out uh, or even the writing that I was putting out at the beginning of that book. Um, and I think that becomes like a hurdle for a lot of people that could potentially want to get into the book. Um, not that I have like the biggest reach cause I don't, but I think people might like, you know, see, Oh, this guy has a web comic, you know, they check out the first page and they'd be like, mm, this is uh, not good looking or not well-written. Um, and I, th- I think that could be a hurdle, but at the same time, you know, I know that I can bring that experience and that knowledge with me to my next project. Um, and uh, you know, I can, I can make it better and, and more appealing. Um, and so I'm happy about that. Um, you know, I, I also think, you know, during the, the final 80 pages that I referenced before, I think I, I, I got a much better grasp on who the characters are supposed to be and what the, the sort of book is about. Um, you know, I, I, I realize we haven't talked about the premise, um, much, but it's, it's a superhero comic, um, it's about this this um, this girl named Rebecca um, who has lost her mom and is kind of fed up with the earth um, and she's super smart so she builds a, a flight suit um, to try to go to space um, and the story follows her uh, as she gets wrapped up in a, a you know some sort of sinister conspiracy um, uh, and she investigates that and fights against it Um and there are directions that I maybe wouldn't have taken the book if I were outlining it now, um, since I, I know saying that it all feels a little disjointed. Um, and I, I, I think part of that was I, I didn't have a super strong pitch at the beginning. So what ended up happening was for a lot of the latter parts of the book, I was, I was retroactively reworking it and trying to figure out what elements I could keep around and what parts I wanted to go through with and what themes I wanted to, to do. Um, you know, and I think what I landed on was like, okay, this is a book that is about nihilism, uh, to some extent, um, and sort of about, you know, what you do with that, uh, and how to fight it. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think that, you know, at least comes through definitely at the end. Uh, I just reread it recently to talk about this and, uh, altogether it comes together nicely. Um. I mean, you get those ideas that you're talking about. I don't think those are lost at all, um, which is good. Uh, yeah. Okay, cool. I just want uh, you know, I could also maybe ask you something more more specific, thinking uh, sort of who are some of your favorite characters and maybe uh, what sorts of... Uh, what, yeah, tell me about your favorite characters and then I'll ask you another question. Sure, yeah. Um, you know, I think I think this comes through. My, my, my favorite characters are... You know, mainly Rebecca and Heidi, uh, who are the the two leads. Um, 
and and you know i i think you know something <laughs> interesting about about this is that at first you know i was i was kind of writing heidi as like not a self-insert but sort of like a kind of a reflection of myself to some degree um sort of like you know i'm a very anxious person uh and so is she um and like she's a huge nerd as am i <laughs> uh and i think you know that kind of leads her to be kind of one-dimensional at the beginning um but sort of the thing i figured out later um and i hope this comes through is that you know she is the person you know who kind of stands for the things that 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 rebecca is maybe unsure about um like you know this is how to do good uh, i think heidi is someone who has seen a lot of hardship in her life um but has also sort of come through like believing in like good um and i really like that about her um and yeah. i'm glad that i got to write a character about that yeah i think that's uh that's good too i mean i like heidi uh now uh now tell me some things that uh maybe didn't make it into the final final situation but are sort of background you thought of or extra little things that you know you know as the creator that you can you can gift me with oh boy um <laughs> uh, i'm not gonna go too deep into this um i know that you know something we've talked about ever since the first issue came out uh, is that uh, uh mr nadir who is the student counselor the, the the high school that rebecca and heidi both go to um is just the absolute worst <laughs> uh and you thought that he was going to turn out to be the the real villain uh i did at some point did. down the road because in the first not... issue he um <laughs> checks in with heidi about her not heidi uh rebecca, no, rebecca about her grades and they have a conversation that sort of ends with the conclusion that rebecca has to do better but he won't call her dad because it's sort of a first strike and then he calls her dad <laughs> i thought that was very suspicious sorry continue Jim. yeah i think he also gives like this sinister look at the end he does um <laughs> which i think this was all just some of that was just like kind of my early incompetence as a cartoonist i was like i didn't know how to communicate certain ideas effectively like really the the thread of being there of like oh rebecca's doing badly in school is like i think is something that i could have like more eloquently portrayed um you know especially since it's not really a thread that comes up again um you know, there, there were other things that I wanted to sort of explore in the series, that, but didn't, um, you know, mainly because of, of time constraints. And I wanted to focus on this this one arc uh, for the book by the end, um, when when more of the beginning, it started more freewheeling. And I was like, you know, I'll end it whenever. <laughs> this can go on forever. Okay. Uh, but over time, I like, you know, said, OK, I want this to be about 10 issues. Um so I think I think one of the, you know one of the things that I wanted to do was like go more into like the hobbies of the characters, um, you know, because I, I I think obviously Rebecca has sort of her her engineering mechanic stuff, uh, which is very prominent, um, but I also wanted to to sort of talk about like you know maybe Heidi is like into art and maybe she does that. Um, and maybe that can be part of her for her arc for growing confidence in herself. Um, maybe like pursuing a career or a scholarship, potentially something like that. Um, 
you know, there there are ideas I have for like a potential continuation for the series, but I I don't think I'd I'd go through them go through with them uh, at least not right now, um, just because I want to be done with this project for the time being. Yeah, that makes sense. I was just hoping like, to get some know, behind I, the I think it's kind of yeah canon stuff, so, <laughs> so I can be smarter <laughs> than everyone else. But I, get, I think I, I'll save that for now. Can I can I take uh, Heidi's into art as a <laughs> as a nugget? Uh, sure. Yeah. All right. All right. Great. I'm glad. Um, yeah. I yeah, uh, I. I... Oh, no, go ahead. Oh, uh, no, it's nothing. You can go. Yeah, I was just gonna say congratulations again, and uh, I hope your your next stuff is is good too. Yeah, thank. You. Yeah, I mean, like I I've had you know my brother Ben on the show before, um, and something I've said online uh, is that you know I I think me and you and him uh, have always sort of tried to to make stuff for each other to entertain each other. Yeah. Um, and I'm sort of glad that I succeeded to some extent with that. Yeah. Um, Good stuff. Thank you, Nick. You um, you want a wise quote to close out the show? Oh, I do. I could really go for one. All right. This one comes from the prophet, Jim Morrison. <laughs> <laughs> the future is uncertain, but the end is always near. <laughs> um, thank you for listening to Out of Our Heads, a pop culture podcast from the minds of Joe Bortner and Nick Protopapis. You can contact us at outofourheadspod at gmail.com, uh, where you can send us listener questions. Uh, my Twitter handle is at Joby underscore draws. Uh, you know, you can read my now finished webcomic, Aeronaut, at jobydraws.com. Uh, Nick doesn't currently have anything to promote. Um, you know, we'll we'll be back next week. Um, in the meantime, you know, you can rate and review us on iTunes if you want. Um, you know, uh, given the time, I think, it. you know, if you're going out and protesting, please stay, please stay safe. Um, yeah, uh, do what you can. Donating to your local bail fund or Black Lives Matter is always a good idea. Uh, and if you're in a position to do so, I recommend that you do that. Uh, bye.